Amen. Well, we are closing out a series today that we've called multi-generational. What does it mean to embrace your part in the big picture purposes of God in the world? And it's been an incredible series. If you're joining us for the very first time, I'm going to encourage you uh, to go back online and watch the first three messages. It's been uh, building up to this point. And today what I want to do is I actually want to preach a message that I'm entitling Fathers in the Faith, Sons of the House. This is language that we use here at Northlands Church when we talk about people developing and growing and ministering here at Northlands. And I, I feel like it's a fitting way to end this, this series and this conversation that we've been in for the month of October. Uh, there's been two key goals that we've been trying to land on as we've come to this moment uh, for this series. The first one is we wanted to work on the partnerships of the generations to strengthen the partnerships in between the generations. We live in a culture right now where we can see a dishonoring and even a disdain for the generations, that there is a younger generation in our culture that looks at the older generation with a scoff and an irrelevance. And at the same time, we can see an older generation in our culture that would look at the younger generation with a suspicion and a mistrust. Do you have what it takes? But what we wanted to do is we wanted to look at Malachi 4, as Greg brought up in week one, that the hearts of the father are to turn to the children and the children's hearts are towards the father and that there's life and strength between them. That we are serving a God who is not just for a single nation, but for the nations and not just for a single generation, but for generations. And part of our, our role here is to strengthen the partnerships horizontally, but also the second goal that we had for this series is that we would develop a mindset of generational thinking and operating. That we would recognize the fact that our lives are not just about what's happening in my life and in my lane and that I'm the star of the show, but that the Lord is at work calling people to his purpose and that we have to have not just a partnership horizontally, but to be tethered to the big picture purposes of God. And in order to do that, uh, Greg brought it up in week one and in week three, the key to the strengthening of partnership is uh, of honor and of trust. That if we're to have a strength and a partnering generationally with one another, what it requires of us is that the younger generation recognizes that if we're to have any type of spiritual inheritance, to have any type of building blocks to take from the work that God has done from a previous generation and use those building blocks for what he's doing in our generation, we must have honor. Honor is the key to spiritual inheritance as Greg brought out. The second thing that he brought out though was toward the older generation, that if we're going to have a legacy, if we're to have a heritage, it is, to it is gonna require of us to trust the next generation and to trust it with something incredibly important, authority. If you wanna develop followers, you, you delegate to them tasks, you entrust them with tasks, but if you wanna build leaders and fathers and mothers in their own right, you must entrust them with authority and leadership. The second thing is we talk about a generational mindset. The key to a generational mindset is Greg did a great job last week of this idea of what it means to run your race. We have to realize that we are not in a single man sprint, that this isn't left to one individual or just a couple individuals, but that we are on not a sprint, but a marathon, which requires us to endure, to have a stamina, to go the distance, that longevity more than impact should be our heart and goal, a healthy way of leaving a legacy. And that it's not just a marathon, but it is a relay race. And that a relay race, it is won or lost in the handoff how we transition from one generation to the next, it matters deeply. 
and it matters to the heart of God. And so that's what this series has been about, which for me brings us in a way to, to the heart of what we've been talking about for the last month. It's the, the heartbeat and the mission of the church that we are to be generationally mission mindset, which means we are disciples making disciples who can make disciples. It's not just enough in our culture that someone would stand up and preach the gospel in such a way that the Holy Spirit would move and that people would hear the gospel and receive, but it's also that the people who receive know how to then turn around and communicate this gospel with a passion. It's not enough that you, you say, hey man, you should have been there on Sunday. Greg preached a message. You go, awesome. What are you preaching? I don't know, but it was rad. It, was, it, it wrecked me good. What did he say? I can't remember. Just go back and watch it. If we're just constantly pushing back to a pastor or to a communicator, we're missing the point of what we're called to do. Not just that we would see people become disciples of Jesus, but those disciples would make disciples in their own right. Ephesians chapter uh, four, verse 11 and 12, it says that Jesus gave to his church, the church that he's called to a mission. He gave to the church apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, for this reason, not to minister to the body, but to equip the body for ministry. Some of you in this house today, you are called to plant churches from this house. Some of you here today are called to launch businesses because the Lord gave you a mindset and a heart for entrepreneurship. Some of you are called to open hospitals. Some of you are called to the education system. Some of you are called to the mission field. What is clear is we all have our own individual field, but this is the truth. You and I, we are all called to be ministers of the gospel, wherever he calls us. And so as we talk about uh, this multi-generational community, it begs the question, how do we make ministers? How does somebody become a minister of the gospel? Not how do we get people into the different fields? How do we get people to plant churches? But whatever field you're called to, how do we make ministers? Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest, the fields, they're plentiful. That's not the problem. It's the laborers. They are few. That's the question I want to beg for the, for the beginning of our morning. How do we make them? When I was uh, 16, 17 years old, I started talking to this girl named Nicole. And uh, yeah, don't tell, my wife's right here. Please guys, keep it cool. I'm just kidding, it was Nicole, it was Nicole. <laughs> I was like, oh. Nicole and I started talking. We did this thing where we introduced ourselves via Facebook. It was this new uh, program that was out on the interweb. Uh, it, it was the wild west, things were just crazy. And we began to strike up a conversation and we, we um, connected because we were, uh, Northlands hosted a conference here and I came down from the church I was a part of in North Carolina. And uh, afterwards, Nicole and I briefly connected, but I was like, I feel like I need to call Greg and ask if it's okay if I'm talking with his daughter. At that time, it was still, it was still that you warn your kids, don't talk to strangers on the internet. Now it's normal. We just talk to all the strangers. But at that time I was like, hey, I wanted Greg to know I'm not a stranger. I was at his church. I wanted him to know who I was. And Greg said the most like, how do you read this statement? We're, we're talking about it. And he's encouraging. He's like, man, I think it's great that there's a friendship. Uh, that you guys are forming, that's great. And then he ends the call with, and he goes, and just like, if it progresses into something else, we'll just have another conversation then. <laughs> and so what he meant was, hey, this is phenomenal. I'm just encouraging this. Like, I hope it, I hope it works out. And if it, if it continues on, we'll just keep talking. What I heard was, it's cool for you guys to be friends, but if it goes any further, we're gonna have another conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Hey, John. <laughs> We had, <laughs> I heard the front row, I was like, amen. Uh, Greg wasn't like, everybody's like, yeah, Greg must have been so good. Greg, Greg will say this. He's like, Tyler was eight hours away. I wasn't worried. It was fine. It was like, 
sure guys, have a relationship. You're eight hours away, this is fine. That's the best way to start a relationship. So we continue to progress and um, we make it official on Facebook. We become boyfriend and girl, amen, yeah. Spoiler, we ended up getting married too, no. Uh, we, had a, we had a youth retreat in North Carolina and we invited a bunch of youth groups through, through the states to come. And uh, so our, our church, the church in North Carolina was hosting this event. And so we were on a campground, we're getting the cabins ready. And then Northland's uh, youth rolls in in a big Greyhound bus. Uh, Nicole gets off the bus. And this is our first time we're together since we're made it official. So I run up to her and I give her a hearty handshake <laughs> and a salutations. So I just get a, uh, get a, yeah. We get settled into the cabins and then inevitably, I know that this is coming. I need to have a conversation with Greg and now we're, we're in the flesh, we're, we're there. So I'm a little nervous, I've got anxiety. And at that time in my life, the Lord began to speak to me about ministry. And um, I, I wish I could show you the 17 year old version of Tyler. I, I had an incredible fear of public speaking. I had an incredible fear of talking in public like this. Uh, I, I grew up in a small town. I, I knew that the Lord had called me to ministry. I had no idea how to get there, no idea what I needed to start doing in order to get there. And then I meet Greg. And uh, Greg and I have this conversation while everybody's being settled in their cabins. We're just walking around the campground and talking. And without this being a forced conversation, Greg doesn't do the whole shotgun stick with the new boyfriend thing at all. He, he, we begin to talk about ministry and about purpose and about calling. And for some reason, I just began to trust him and open up about my anxieties and my worries and saying, hey, I feel the calling. I have no idea how to get there though. And, and, and Greg didn't just give sage advice. He began to speak to me about what I've now known to be one of his life messages. He said, Tyler, I, I know there's a lot of anxiety and worry about the call, but that's normally a sign that it is the call because God calls people beyond their ability. God calls people into the waters where unless he comes through, they're gonna sink. So he goes, I, I think you're hearing the call of God correctly. But then he begins to speak to me about this life message where he says, Tyler, what I have found is that there's a giant of a God in you. And he dreams great dreams for your life and my life. And that we don't have to look at the future with anxiety, but look at it as a whisper of an adventure with God. And it, it, wasn't, in that, it wasn't in that night or that day that we were walking that my, all my anxieties and worries were settled and figured out but it was the beginning of a relationship that I had with Greg where he encouraged me. He took courage that he had, that he had grown in, that he had through his experiences. We've been talking about this month, the battles that he had already fought and won. He began to give me those victories. He began to put courage in me. He began to talk to me past my spirit of timidity and began to give me a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Have you ever had a figure like that in your life? your own story of a, of a Greg Haswell type figure. Perhaps it was a parent or a spiritual parent. Perhaps it was a coach or, or a teacher, professor at college. See, I, I don't know if you've been walking with the Lord for five, 10, 20 plus years, but if you've seen any type of spiritual formation or transformation in your life, have you not found what I've found that, that our spiritual transformation far more happens because it's wrapped around a person like a Greg Haswell than it is around a book that I've read or a teaching that I heard or a course that I stepped into or, 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 or all the things that I began to learn about the Bible. I'm not against the scriptures. I am, I am anchored in the scriptures, but it's not just enough that I go and I study, but that there's men and women that God puts in my path that are like spiritual mothers and fathers that make those scriptures come alive to me. They make me believe before I can believe for myself what these words say. 
If you're here today and you've not been walking with the Lord for five plus years, perhaps it's just been five days or not very long at all. And you're like, I haven't seen spiritual transformation like you're describing. What I wanna hint at is this, is that if you're looking for this kind of transformation, most likely it's going to come from you engaging with a family than a seminary. Not that that learning isn't important, not that we shouldn't educate ourselves, but what I have found is that when you find yourself in a healthy home, things begin to happen. Transformation comes. So when we go back to asking questions, how do ministers get made? I believe they get made in families. I believe that this call for multi-generational living is about helping the next generation fulfill all that God has called them into because without an older voice saying, you can do it, you have what it takes, I think it would take forever to get there. I know what it's like to not have the tools, not have the equipment in order to get where I need to go, where God's called me to. But when there was men and women that stood in the gap in my life and said, Tyler, I believe in you. That made all the difference. I remember the last thing that my, my father in North Carolina said to me as he was helping me pack up and move, I was, I was beginning to have an anxiety collapse. I mean, I was just falling apart. I was like, I don't think I can do this. And he, and he looked at me because we'd been months of preparing and sending me off. He looked at me in the eye and he goes, Tyler, I would not be letting you go if I didn't know beyond a shadow of doubt, you have what it takes. It wasn't that I was leaving. It was that he was launching me. And he's like, I wouldn't be launching you if I didn't know you. I would say that made all the difference for the trajectory of my life. And I believe that if we're after spiritual transformation and a spiritual inheritance, it requires this partnership between the generations. I believe that what we need to be talking about is a healthy multi-generational home or church or family. For me, there's three things that are required in order to have a healthy home as I see it, as I've experienced the first thing is this, is that every healthy home, every healthy church has this spiritual mothers and fathers that are there that are secure and they are healthy themselves. If you wanna be a part of a healthy family, there must be spiritual moms and dads present. Even in our own individual families, the mom and dad are the foundation for this family. We need fathers in this generation who stand watch over their family, that stand in front of and protect their families, that bring definition and declaration over their children and over their wives, because this is what God made us to be, men, that we would be fathers that stand in the gap where there is dangers. We are the thing that buffers against it. We need spiritual mothers in the house who nurture, show kindness, show patience, have the gift of mercy, and they are continually nurturing, nurturing what is being defined in our homes where you have a healthy mother and father who are submitted to the purposes of God. You have an environment where life has to come forth. Which leads us to the second thing that must be present in a healthy family. We need to have healthy fathers and mothers, and we need to have it when, when fathers and mothers come together, they create an environment where orphans become sons and sons become fathers. But if you're wondering, am I a good parent? The test to that is the next phase of your child's life. Not that you're able to raise and nurture sons and daughters, but that they in their own right become fathers and mothers independent of you. The third thing that we need in healthy families is we need to see fathers and mothers launched leading their own families, beginning their own healthy homes. We serve a God who is apostolic in nature. He is a sending out God that we measure not how big our family gets, but how many members we send out of our family. Once again, there are men and women here who are called to plant churches and God's whispering to you right now about these healthy homes that you're supposed to launch in the surrounding cities and in the surrounding states and in the surrounding nations. There are some of you here that the Lord is whispering to you about an entrepreneurship of starting new businesses or being in the education or the, the creative arts but we need healthy fathers and mothers in our culture right now. Because where there's healthy fathers and mothers, 
they make orphans into fathers. And then when they become fathers, we send them out because we serve a sending God. Amen. So what I want to do today is I want to look at the life of a father in the faith named Paul. And I want to look at his spiritual son, Timothy. And also I'll, I'll make mention of another spiritual son that he has named Titus. There are letters in the New Testament uh, from both of these men. One letter is called Titus. The other is first and second Timothy. Second Timothy is the very last letter that Paul writes before he is executed for his faith. And he, what he's writing to is he's writing to his spiritual sons who have become fathers in their own right. Timothy was leading communities of churches in the cities of Ephesus. And then uh, Titus, he was leading on the island of Crete. They're overseeing communities and churches just as they had watched their father, Paul, model for them. Paul was a single man. He didn't have biological children. They were, these were spiritual sons that had become connected to him because Paul saw the necessary need of, oh, in order for you, Timothy, to get where you need to go, oh, Titus, in order for you to become the leader God has called you to be, you need a father. And so I want to talk about these three components today as we close out multi-generational. I want to talk about healthy mothers and fathers. I want to talk about orphans becoming fathers. And I want to talk about what does it mean to launch from a healthy home? And so let's just start with healthy fathers and mothers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read from 1 Corinthians chapter four and we'll start in verse 14, just to give context of what's happening. Paul is uh, a church planter. He is planting churches in various cities. And one of the churches uh, that he plants is in the city of Corinth. The letters 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are, are after these churches have been established and they're, they're operating in this city, the leaders of these communities write back to Paul and say, hey, the wheels of this thing is coming off. The house is on fire. And they begin to tell them about what's happening in the community. And what we're seeing is, is that the community there has an orphan spirit. They're throwing off restraint. They're throwing off rules. They don't want to be restricted to what Paul has preached to them about the gospel. They're, they're walking away from the commands of Christ. And what does it mean to be a healthy community? And so the entire letter to 1 Corinthians is just segment after segment after segment of Paul rebuking and bringing correction and instruction and discipline to these communities. But what I want to read is I want to read chapter four, starting in verse 14, because if you miss what Paul says here, to them in his letter, you miss the entire heart of what he's saying to these orphans who are in need of a father. Paul's heart was not to slap them around. It wasn't, hey, I've been building up these churches and you're breaking them. You're ruining everything. His heart was not that. In order to, 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 uh, to address an orphan spirit, it's not to fight that spirit with a spirit of hostility. Paul doesn't come with a spirit of hostility. He comes with the spirit of a father because it's a fathering spirit that will heal an orphan spirit. And this is what he has to say. He says this, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ in some translations that you might be reading, if you have many guides, but then he says this, you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, imitate me. I'll pause there for a moment and we'll come back to, to verse 17 in, in closing. Paul says, I am writing to you, not as a guide, but as a father. 
There's nothing wrong with guides. There's nothing wrong with teachers. There's nothing wrong with coaches. I've had some incredible coaches in my life, incredible teachers in my life. But the difference between a God and a, fa- a, a guide and a father is this, that a teacher will commit themselves to a student for a year to help them get from one grade to the next. But a father commits themselves to a son or daughter for life. The difference between a coach and a father is that a coach will commit himself to making that person the best player possible, help commit to growing their gift. But a father is not unfocused about the gift, but he's not committed to the gift. He's committed to the man. We live in a culture that has many guides, but we don't have many fathers. And so we're going to build fathers and mothers in this house because that's what our culture needs. People who are committed to the lives of people, not just the gifts or what they can produce. So Paul says, you have many guides, but you don't have many fathers. So I took it upon myself not to be apostle Paul to you, not to be an elder to you, but to be what you needed, a father to you, to heal the orphan spirit and to make you sons of this house. Furthermore, Paul says, as he's as in verse 16, he says, imitate me. And I, I just want to say this, that I, I think sometimes when we talk about disciples, making disciples, making disciples, I think we overcomplicate it way too much. There are men in this community that I admire so, so much. Because when I look at their marriages, their wives are thriving in the things of God. When I look at their children, they're excited and passionate about the things of God and in a healthy community at home. When I look at their finances and their careers, they're stewarding it with mastery. When I look at them pursuing the things of God, they're not only calling their families, but other families to these realities. Discipleship is making more of that. If I had 10 men like that, I could take a city. I'm encouraged because we have many men like that in this house. So what I'm asking for is not for you to be able to walk somebody through the book of Ephesians or to be able to disciple them and put them on a discipleship track. I'm asking you, would you go make more of who you are? And you know how to make you because you're you. How did you get there? Fathers reproduce themselves. If we're to be a a house that makes fathers, all we're asking for is who you are and who God's made you to be. Bring somebody on the journey with you. Paul says, imitate me as I'm following Christ. The second thing that I wanna bring up is for a, for a healthy family and home is that we need healthy fathers and mothers, but we also wanna recognize that in a healthy home, orphans are becoming sons and sons are growing up to be strong fathers and fathers are launching and making new homes. It's cliche, but it's true. The statement, it takes a village to raise a child. It has been my observation Um, that some people are incredibly gifted. We see this in the life of Paul, that Paul takes the Corinthian family and he takes that, that orphan spirit and gives them sonship and makes them heir. But with Timothy, Timothy was already a son because his grandmother and his mother did a phenomenal job. They made him a son. And Paul goes, oh, I can make this son a father. Let him come with me. Let, Let him partner with me. What I have found in my observation though, is that there are men and women here who are incredibly gifted at making orphans into sons. You're like paramedics. You can get up on the scene and the demeanor that you have is incredibly calm. You're not thrown off by the muck and mire of this world. If, it, if there's blood and carnage, you come in and you bind up the brokenhearted. 
you bind up wounds. These are the evangelists among us. These are the, the therapists among us. These are those who have committed themselves to sozo ministry. These are the ones who've committed themselves to recovery or to dealing with deep trauma and wounds and counseling and listening to people and walking with them with gentleness and kindness and mercy and showing them the grace because it's the kindness of God that leads people to repent. And there's men and women here, the type of father and mother you are, you are phenomenal masters at making orphans into sons. If you're here and that's you, we need that fathering and mothering spirit that you have. There's some here though, in my observation, who, who are able to take sons and to make them fathers in their own right. They are the teachers among us. They are the life coaches. They are the mentors. They are the instructors. You, you have this ability that when a, when a son becomes strong in his own right, what does he do? He begins to push back against his father, not because he's rebelling, but because he's testing the waters and you have the ability to absorb and sustain the pressure that is re required. You're, you love wrestling and pushing back on the strength of the son to help them grow and to become strong. We need fathers who know how to make sons into fathers in their own right, that they're not threatened by their son's strength, but they help develop it and make it go farther and, fa and fa they make them go farther and faster than they ever could. And yet still, I see some of us here today and you are phenomenal leaders at taking those who are fathers and developing them and helping them build their own homes in their own right. It's the apostles and the prophets among us. It's the ability that you're the ones who are able to see the invisible greatness in a person and see their potential. And you're the first one to call it out before it ever manifests itself among us. You say, I see what's in that guy. I see what's in that gal. And you're like, and everybody else is like, I don't, I don't see it, man. But you see a whisper of what the Holy Spirit is calling them and doing their life. I would not be where I am if there weren't men and women who saw something in me and said, Tyler, I see this in you before I even believed it myself. The apostles are the ones who, who build and they're the architects. They help build the foundations of healthy homes and churches. And we need fathers who are committing themselves to launching fathers out. We are called to the apostolic work. It takes a village of fathers and mothers who understand their position and space and their part in the journey of developing people. Here's what I know to be true. Two questions. I know this, every one of us here is on a journey somewhere. The first question I ask, where are you on the journey? Just be honest with where you are. Perhaps you're saying, Tyler, I am broken in a thousand different ways. You're talking about the call and purpose of God. I don't know if I believe you. I have been where you are, where the Lord's been whispering to you about a future. And I go, I don't see that at all in me. What it requires of you in this moment is to be like Mary. When Mary was told she was going to give birth to Jesus, she just simply said, let your word be fulfilled. God, if that's what you're calling me into, I don't see it, but Lord, let your word be the thing that calls me into it. Perhaps you're here and you're saying, you're saying, I, I, I've walked with the Lord for a period of time. I'm gonna ask you to commit yourself to be a son of the house. Perhaps you're here today, you're on the journey and you're, you're, you're called to be a father in the faith to many that are here. The first question is, where are you on the journey? The second is to ask, where should you be ministering at Northlands? If you're called to reach orphans and to make them sons, what ministries are reaching out to the orphan? If you're called to make sons into fathers, what ministry should you be giving yourself over to? Or fathers making more fathers and helping them build homes? We'll come back to these questions. Here's where I'd like us to go in light of that. I wanna talk about fathers and mothers launching and leading from, uh, launching from their home and leading and making more families in their own rights. We see, as I said already, Paul, he takes Corinth and he takes the orphan and he begins to make them sons. 
But then he also has sons like Timothy and Titus, and he's working in them to make them fathers in their own right. And I want to read 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I just want to read the first seven verses of this letter that he's writing to Timothy. Timothy, at this stage, there's stuff that's happening in Ephesus. There's false doctrine that's coming out. There's a bunch of different um, challenges that are coming. And so he's writing a letter to help his son, who is a father, fathering a community. And he's saying, hey, if I were you, I would do this. Hey, if I were you, maybe consider this. And then in many ways, he commissions him to goes, hey, shut that down. You have what it takes to shut that down. That's false teaching. Put it away. And so he's writing this letter to his son, Timothy, who's grown up in the faith. But I want to I want to just I want to listen to the words that Paul uses as he speaks and writes to Timothy. We not only see the heart of Paul for Timothy, but he begins to whisper about Timothy's heart towards Paul. See, in order for us to have a healthy home, what I'm describing here, what it requires is, is fathers in the faith to step forward and for sons of the house to commit themselves to the training. And I want to talk about what does it, what, do, what is needed for a father in a faith to be present? And what is it, what is needed for a son of the house to be developed. Again, coming back to you, what does it take to make a minister? Second Timothy chapter one, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen to his words. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did multi-generational with a clear conscience as night and day, I can constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which I first, which, uh, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives all, in you also. Verse six, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God gave, uh, that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Paul writes to Timothy, and as he's writing these seven verses, I see four things, both in Paul's words, but also what I've experienced in my own life. I'm talking to you about what does it mean to be a father in the faith? Not because I can, I can say, oh, that's who I am, but because I know what it's like to be a son and to be fathered by these great giants. If you're to be a father in the faith for someone, what it means, number one, is continual prayer for them. This idea of what it means to be an elder in a church, one of the words is to guide people. It's this uh, Greek word, uh, prosecco, which means to, to keep in mind I said this last week as we brought in members that the eldership team is keeping your household in mind. If you're a father, if you're a parent, you know this to be true. How often is your kid on your mind? Paul is saying night and day, I'm thinking of you. And when I do, I'm praying for you and your leadership in Ephesus. The second thing that's needed for a father in the faith is that you are called to encourage the calling that you are called to whisper to the timid spirit where there's anxiety and worry and say, that's not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. There's a giant of a God in you, Timothy, and he dreams great dreams in your life. Fan into flame this spirit and these gifts. Fathering can be complicated in a number of ways, mothering, but if there's one thing that we are to do, it's to take courage and to put it into our children. Our world and culture is filled with anxiety and worry. So all the more we should be putting courage in our kids. 
This third thing that I see Paul doing though, and you see in the scriptures is blessing. He said, I laid my hands on you, Timothy. It wasn't just that elders commissioned Timothy to go and to start communities in Ephesus. It was that Paul said, my own personal hand, I blessed you. Fathers bless and commission their kids. Something that we can all grow in. Something that I am fighting to do more and more as a habit, as often as I possibly can to put my hand on my girls and just bless them in the name of the Lord Jesus. The fourth thing is what we've been talking about in this series is what Greg's brought out for the last uh, two, two messages that he's brought. And that is that the fathers, they entrust their sons and daughters with authority. That we entrust the next generation with leadership. At some point we have to open up the doors of our home and to say, the reason we can say we're healthy moms and dads is because our kids have left the house and they are men and women in their own right. And we entrust them to lead. His letter to Timothy was not, hey, don't worry, Timothy, I'm coming. His letter was, Timothy, you have what it takes. Fight against these spirits of false doctrine. You have what it takes, shut this down. You have what it takes to lead these people because you've seen me do this a thousand times. In order to make a son of the house, what we need is we need honor for our fathers and mothers. I love what Paul says. He says, your tears, Timothy. He says, this, this relationship with they have, you have loved me well, Timothy, you have honored me well, so much to the point of tears. These two men loved each other, not because they had to, because they were born into a family, because they chose to walk together and to partner. The second thing that sons of the house have to do is we have to submit ourselves to service. We see this in 1 Corinthians with, with Paul. We see this, or with Paul to Timothy. We see this in 1 Timothy 1.3. We're reading it now in verse six. With fan in the flame, use your gift, serve. He says this to Titus as well. If you're to be a son of the house, bring your strength to the house. All that you have, bring it here. And the third thing that a son of the house must do is he must carry the DNA of the house. Just real quickly, going back to 1 Corinthians, verse 17, Paul says, I urge you to be imitators of me to the Corinthian church. But he doesn't say, and I'm gonna come there and show you how to live and operate so you can practice. He says, no, no, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. It was for this reason I sent to you Timothy. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach in everywhere in every church, every home that Paul has ever built. He's saying, Timothy knows how I operate. Timothy knows what I'm gonna say before I say it. Timothy knows how to act. And if you imitate me through the life of Timothy's leadership, I promise you, you will become a son of the house and you will be launched into the call of God for your life. Timothy had the DNA. And so he was commissioned out. It takes fathers and mothers to make fathers and mothers. I am convinced if you are here today and there's wisdom that you should be imparting to the next generation, the way you get that wisdom out is the value for a millennial is community. We love community. We're doing life together, which means your mission field, I believe is your dining room table. Inviting people into your home, not into a lecture hall, but inviting them to your home. If you wanna reach Gen Z, their value is authenticity. They can, they can read out a sleazy salesman a mile away which means the goal as you, as you impart your wisdom to the next generation, it's not that you are the white knight who has all the answer and is the guru, but you have the ability to open up your heart to show transparency and vulnerability. They will praise and clap for you when you demonstrate your strength, but they will connect and devote themselves to you like a son or daughter when you share with them their weaknesses. Community around the table and vulnerability, showing the grace and mercy of God at work. This is how we will connect the generations together. As we, as we close today, I, I can see this 
as clear as if it were standing in front of me, that God is calling our house to be a model and a prototype of a healthy home. I can see us growing as a community because what I have learned is that if it's healthy, it will grow. But you know what I found is that growth will challenge health. If you have a healthy marriage and you have maybe two kids and I drop five more kids on your doorstep today, it's gonna challenge your healthy marriage. Great growth, it's gonna challenge it. But let's not be scared of growth because growth is the sign of health. We have to grow. We're not gonna lose this special thing that we have here at Northwest because we add a service or we add other locations or we plant churches. It's the very thing that God called us to do. That those who are sick, those who are burdened, those who are hurting, those who are, have an orphan spirit, they must come and fill this space. And when they fill this space, we will father and mother them because that's who we are and that's what we do. We transform lives by building churches that give people the gospel of grace and help them experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their own life. I not only long for you to have a spiritual father like Greg, but I long that you would one day be like a spiritual father to someone like Greg has been to me, that Paul has been to Timothy and we can get you there. I'm not saying that because I, I, I am so confident that we have all the answers. I'm just saying I've been here for 15 years. I know what it was like to be from the outside and to come in and to be raised in this home. We're gonna keep doing this. I know that we've been in a season that's been a little scary in our culture. We're seeing what's happening in Israel. We're coming up next year on an election cycle. We're seeing a lot of fighting and bickering and heartache and factions and divisions. I'm not saying that we disengage from the culture by any means, but I feel it in my guts that more than focusing on the culture, we should be focusing on our children. More than focusing or trying to predict where the culture is heading, let's build homes. Let's be like Nehemiah who can't come down from the work because the thing that we're doing is too great. When Peter looked at the eyes of Jesus, he walked on water. And when he looked at the storms of life, that's when he began to sink. I believe the Lord wants us to focus our eyes on our children and for our children's eyes to be focused on us. I wish with all my heart, especially as I have my daughter here this morning, I wish with all my heart, I could slay all the giants that are gonna be in her life. But the reality is I could slay giant after giant after giant in my generation. But as, as it says it about David in the book of Acts, that when David died with his ancestors, he fulfilled the purposes of God for his generation. Our children have their own giants to fight in their generation. Our job is not to try and keep them safe at every turn. If we try and keep them in the comfort of our healthy home for the rest of their life, they never become fathers and mothers in their own right. We don't keep them safe, we keep them small. We have to open up the doors of our home and launch them being in full confidence that God, our father is the one who keeps them safe. And he gave us to them so that we can make them strong. So that when we open up the doors of our home and they see giants in the land, we look them in the eye and we say, there's a giant of a God in you. He dreams great dreams for your life. You have what it takes. Northland's Church, we have what it takes. Let's build healthy homes.